Brody and the Beard is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals of last-minute tickets. Did you know rocket ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. That's a ton of money, folks. 60% off is a lot. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into games. You can find any game you want. And it's not just games, guys. You can also find theater tickets, concert tickets. It's an easy app. takes about two taps, really, to get what you need. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Modakil, this guy's amazing. That move is illegal in most every state except in Texas. The beard! Too much sauce. The rim is crying. If you're Russell Westbrook, why not? Welcome into I don't even know how many different podcasts this is. I'm Eric Name of the Hear the Deer podcast. I'm with Kelly Eco of the Brody and the Beard podcast. We're also with Sam Amick of the Tampering podcast. So well, I, I don't even know. This is like, like a triple crossover? Yeah, a triple crossover episode. But we are like sitting. having three MVPs on the floor at once. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. That, that's really well done. Just like just like what happened tonight at the Toyota Center, we are sitting here courtside. The game has wrapped up. The Milwaukee Bucks win 117-111. And, I mean, there's just a bunch of interesting stuff about this game. I, I want to start with you, Kelly. Like, you have the first real game i know there's preseason games but this is the first real game of westbrook harden together what'd you think of what you saw what'd you hear in the locker room i think you know as the games go on we're going to see them hammer out more more details but from what i saw you know pretty positive we, we saw them creating plays for each other which was the big thing everyone talked about is it going to be your turn versus my turn and i think in the half court setting especially you know when james has the ball russ can spot up when Russ has the ball, James, he, he, there was a play where he set a screen and he, he kind of he rolled a little bit, and that was kind of surprising to me to see. And we know in transition, whenever he has the ball, either or it's up and going. Yeah. So can that develop over time? Listen, I, I thought, for one, because I didn't see these guys in the preseason at all, it was super interesting. And bottom line for me, I don't know if it's going to work to the tune of a championship. I do think that in terms of, being on the other side and the opposing coach, I'm simply more afraid of this attack than I was the James Harden-Chris Paul attack. Russ, in general, is a greater threat. The pace was there tonight. You know, we saw that from beginning to, the, to end. The intensity, I think it was third quarter when they're pulling away a little bit and Russ had that dunk, you know, that, that got everybody fired up. Um, we all know what Chris can do on the court. But you're talking about a, a younger, I think, even more intense, which is crazy to say because Chris is maybe the most competitive guy in the league. I, I like the attack. I like the staggering, the fact that – and Mike D'Antoni's talked about this a lot, that you just – you look out on the floor and it's either James and Russ or James and Eric or Russ and Eric, and that's just not normal that teams can put that kind of firepower on the floor for all 48 minutes. I thought the pace stood out to me. 
Like that was a, something where you just saw Russell Westbrook push push the pace, and then all of a sudden it was an open corner three, and that was obviously when the Rockets pulled away. And in my head, all I could think of was like, if if Chris Paul is that guy, the ball's not getting up the floor quite that fast. Like they're not going to find that one. Maybe in the half court setting, like Chris Paul would find that look. Like that that could have definitely happened. He's that talented of a passer. He's that good of a player. But just it just felt overwhelming at times tonight, where it was just like, okay, if this is what this Rockets team looks like. You can physically overwhelm some teams like that. Like you're gonna push the pace, and it's going to be like it's gonna be really tough to play with those two dudes making you work for 48 minutes. I think one of the more interesting things is how Russ looked with the second unit. You know, for a long time when Chris was here, a lot of times if the Rockets were losing, and Chris came in with the second unit, they could close that gap. Or if it was like a four or five point game, it would turn to 11, 12, 13 point game. I think. I was looking at how is he going to look when he comes in two minutes left in the third, uh, two minutes left in the first half. You know, how can he get that second unit up and going? And we saw chemistry with Eric Gordon. You know, when, 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 every time Russ is coming at you 100 miles an hour, he's kicking to the corner for P.J. Tucker for three, for Eric Gordon for three. And there was a point where he was talking to Thabo and he was kind of telling him, look, if I'm coming down the lane, you need to be in the corner because I'm going to pass to you. And I think for game one, kind of, jitters a little bit but I, I think as time goes on like i said it will get more and more easy with reps and repetition well listen james didn't play well you know what i mean and part of that is the bucks defense just they, they're gimmicky and they defend him very well and if i would have told you going into the game that james would be the one shooting 12 percent from beyond the arc and russ would be at 42 like that's not <laughs> normal that's not what we're going to see um you know they they let the let go of the rope and this is you know you can't be giving up 16 point leads and so in that Regard, it's a bad loss, but I, I see a lot here that they can build off of. You know, when you, when you look at the way Russell played tonight, it has, like Kelly said, it's very positive well, how he did it with the second unit. I really do think that defensively as well, there were some positives, especially with the new scheme that they're kind of imp- uh, employing, their hybrid scheme of kind of switching and also dropping back in coverage. Clint, uh, even though Coach D'Antoni said post-game that he needs to be a little more tougher, he was great on switches, and that's a big th- a big deal because last season Clint struggled against guards. It's not against Chris Middleton, even a few times against Giannis, he held his zone, which is very important. Um, but I do think that when it comes down to the fourth quarter, when these legs will get tired because they are pushing the pace, can those guys ma- get those stops? And we saw sometimes where Harden, Westbrook, even some others were tired. They may have made a lazy read or just got lo- uh, lost off ball. That needs to be taken care of. But to Sam's credit, James didn't play well. Uh, Russ did well. Uh, there will be games where both don't play well if they or they do play well, but this team can definitely overwhelm uh, the opposing teams. I got to interrupt real fast. I don't know if you guys saw this on social media. I, it's very interesting. Was there a some sort of heated discussion between James and Russ? A spirited, a spirited talk. Spirited, yes. So, and this is, you know, friend and colleague Tim McMahon of ESPN's tweet, and Russ, you were probably standing there, guys, when he was asked about it. So, for one, just good looking out, Russ, for wasting no time putting your media hat on and, and being Russ in this market, just like he was in OKC. He's asked about the interaction, and I quote, I mean, the animation is something be- uh, is, is because we're talking about something. Don't dive too much into it. Like I told you, there's nothing that nobody around the world, the media, anybody can get in between what we have because we've had it for so long. So the more you keep asking, the more it ain't going to work. And, like, honestly, that edge... I like that edge it gives this Rockets team a new look. I do have zero doubts that this team is, I think, going to stay together. When it comes to the James and Russ component, you can't account for all of it. But I am a believer 
and the personal com- dynamic between those two guys, I, I think. And I talked to Steph Curry about it last week. I know that sounds like a weird pivot and name drop, but like Steph. You're big time, right? It's okay. No, I'm just saying like Steph knows these dudes and, and has since he was a young guy. You know, they all came up together. And, and Steph, it really got my attention that he brought that thing up when I asked about the Rockets. He's like, listen, James and Russ, that is a friendship. And this is a guy who just saw a relationship with Kevin Durant that was good at times, but did not have the kind of history that James and Russ have. And, and it, I felt like that was almost the undercurrent of what he was saying, which is that it's it's rare and unique to have that in this league. And I think when you have it, it does matter. I have a question I want to pose to Eric. You know, the talk of the week was the way the Bucks defended James last season, you know, the, the kind of unique strategy of standing on the side and forcing him, you know, one direction to the paint. And tonight, it kind of worked. You know, mm-hmm. it, it it deterred him from taking a lot of the looks he sees during during a normal course of the season. And he kind of missed some of his floaters, and the threes were kind of off, and they caught some of the push-offs. But do you think other teams are, are seeing this game and saying, can we employ that strategy? You no, know, Obviously, it depends on the personnel. You know, Eric Bledsoe was a sturdy defender. He has a low sense of gravity. But do you think other teams can employ this similar I don't think so. I mean, I, I just remember earlier this week, and I wrote an article about it, but I was talking to Blood, and I was like, it seems like you like this. Like, people don't like covering James Harden. It sucks. Like, it, it's a crummy job. I was like, there's... I, it just feels like when I watch you tackling Jerome Bettis yeah, back in the day, like yeah. you didn't, you don't enjoy it. But yet every time I watch him play Harden, I'm like, he likes it, man. And like you saw tonight, he gets called for that block early in the game, and he's chirping at Harden after it. And it's like, dude, like you, you just gave up a bucket, like you just gave up some free throws, and yet he's still coming back for more. So like I thought I was onto something, right? Like I'm like, you know what, you like it, and he just looks at me, he's like, no. I don't like it. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, if you don't, you don't. But he said the big thing is like, so I'm going to do that, right? Like, I'm going to overplay, and I'm going to send him to Giannis, and I'm going to send him to Brooke. And he was like, nobody else has two seven-footers protecting the rim. Like, that's that's not a thing other teams do. And with Giannis, it's not just protecting the rim. It's like floating around, getting his arms in passing lanes. So it's like on top of rim protection that you get in Brook, you get Giannis flying around. So I, I brought it up throughout the week leading up into this game, and Bud just like kind of looked at me and rolled his eyes because that's what Bud does when you ask him a question that he thinks maybe he's a little stupid. And he's just like, no, it's personnel. Like, we have the personnel to do this because it really was last year the Bucks ran that in the first meeting against the Rockets, and then the rest of the league like tried it, and it doesn't work. And you you could see tonight in the first half why it doesn't work. Like if your if your rotations aren't really good, if you don't keep it really tight, Harden just gets easy looks. And I thought Harden did a great adjustment where he wasn't probing the floor early in the game. He was just going. It was I'm gonna go straight to the lane, and that's where you saw a bunch of the lobs early on. That's where you saw him get into the lane early on. So I thought he made a great adjustment, and it showed what the difference was in execution and how other teams aren't gonna be able to do this because if you screw it up. You are giving up a layup. You are giving up a dunk. And teams can't do that for 48 minutes. Like, the Bucks needed to improve in the second half. They did. Uh, but it's just really tough to execute for 48 minutes. You know, some of the other guys, to, to kind of pivot a little bit, well, Clint Capella, I had pegged him as the second most important player to the team right now, just in terms of how last season ended, how their defense looked in the preseason, you know, the rim protection. And I just thought that if Clint can set the tone as that anchor, you know, kind of like a Rudy Gobert where you're almost deterring people from the rim, 
if he can set the tone defensively, you know, it could fix a lot of a lot of issues. And today I kind of saw some spots. Um, Earlier on, Brook Lopez kind of gave him a little bit of trouble, but he kind of cut his wind and he got into the game. But speaking of the game, Coach D'Antoni said that he needs to have, he needs to be more alert, and his reaction time wasn't as fast as, as he would he would want it to be. And I, I found it kind of interesting, you know. Um, in preseason, we talked about Clint Capella having his wind. He 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 was kind of low on energy, and I just don't understand, you know. What all goes into that before a game, like your wind, your energy, and stuff like that? But how do you see it, Sam? Good points. I'll be honest. I, I'm I'm always fascinated when you see a dynamic between a player and, and an organization. Like the longer that they're together, you might have you got either you know baggage or you have positive memories. Listen, last time I was in this building, the Warriors ended this team season, and Clint did not have a good series, and he was you know across the board. Uh, the fall guy with good reason for the way he played in that series. And it, it led to a frustrating off season. And, you know, in that regard, I think this is not a great way for him to start off this season because Kelly, everything you said is accurate about the way he is perceived within this team. And as far as his importance, you know, I talked to one of the folks today just about Clint and the idea that it's, you know, just how hard he's rolling and, and that, that, you know, X factor that he plays all the way through. If, if he's not at his best, if he doesn't take that next step, then that baggage is only going to get bigger or he can spin it the other way and, and kind of shed it. I, I just kept sitting there that whole game thinking in my head, like, you know, Clint, that might work against someone else, but if there's a Lopez brother on the floor, which there is for 48 minutes against the Bucks, it ain't going to work. <laughs> wait, 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 are you saying that the Lopez brothers are staggered too? <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. Uh, but like, a side note, because this is your Bucks life every day, Brooks volume in his post game media had me dying. It, the dude acts like he's, you know, on a radio show, he's Jim Rome and he's just projecting and nobody else in the room can even talk. I'm trying to talk to Kyle Corver over here and all you can hear is I thought we played wonderful and then they're like, jeez. Like just those brothers, they have been cracking me up for fifteen years now. You can never be too far away from a Brooke Lopez scrum. Like you're you're gonna hear it. You can no, no, two interviews at once. One one hundred percent. Like you can multitask a little bit with Brooke. You're still gonna hear what he says. But to me that that was the interesting thing with Capella was that he likes some of that in-between stuff where it's like, I'm going to take a dribble, then I'm going to get it up. And it's like, if you got a seven footer down there and that seven footer is 280 pounds, that one dribble stuff ain't going to work. Like you, you have to find a way to get it up quicker. Otherwise it's going to get sent. And, and I think we saw that throughout the night. Uh, a goal for the Rockies organization with Clint throughout the last few years is to get him going early in transition. Last year, he averaged three baskets a game in the first six seconds of the shot clock. That's clearly a point of emphasis. You saw that today and throughout the preseason where they want to get him going running down the lane. And there were a few times where James would go and he thought he had a pass inside the paint, but there was Brooke running stride for stride with Clint. And I think that's a very important thing because Clint is possibly one of the fastest big men in the NBA. If you have Brooke Lopez already getting back there, and kind of denying him there, and albeit yes, they were they were clogging the pain and uh, doing that, but still having Brook Lopez run the floor and give him some troubles. I mean, number one, that's worrisome if you're Clint, but number two, that kind of shows you how good of a defensive player Brook Lopez is, especially with what the Bucks do defensively. All right, we get to switch over to the Bucks. We we, we went yeah. through the Rockets a little bit there. Like I, Sam, you got to to talk a little bit with Giannis after the game. I'm curious. That wasn't a great game from Giannis. Like, he didn't look particularly good the whole time. He ends up with a 30, 13, and 11. 
but fouls out, wasn't hitting free throws early, didn't really have much of a flow, and then all of a sudden the third quarter just kind of took over. What was kind of your perspective getting to see him up close and personal? Well, I mean, we talked about it off air, but I just, you know, normally when you talk to MVPs, you, you know, the main point of the conversation is how are you going to keep your game at a certain level, at the MVP level, maybe get another MVP. I can't ever think of a player who already had an MVP in his back pocket and who, not just tonight, but in general, still has so much room to grow. It's insane. And I, I told you guys, like, I think the rest of the league should still be terrified. They're already scared of the guy because he's incredible. But you see a game like this where first quarter, he's a net negative. You have multiple traveling calls, air balls on threes, um, didn't score until there was like a minute left in the first quarter. And I told Giannis this, I said, all right, that's the beginning. Then the end, if you didn't know anything in the middle, you foul out with five minutes to go. You would think this was a terrible night at the office. And oh, by the way, you had a 30-point triple-double. That's insanity. And so if you hit the rewind button, you go back to last summer, he had made a comment about how he thought that he was at 60% of who he can be as a player. I talked to Kyle Korver about that tonight, and Kyle was really good, where he essentially said that when he heard Giannis say that, it kind of at first hit him like, that's crazy, come on. And now that he's there every day, he finds himself just kind of staring at Giannis going, oh, my God, like he's right. You know, like tonight he goes, I think, two of five from beyond the arc. And it's a, you know, the the volume's not there, but Giannis just shot 40% from three in a game. And by the way, I think at least one air ball, maybe two. So still, but nonetheless, you know, it's the shooting that's going to grow in his game. It's the consistency. It's the decision-making. There are times when he looks extremely uncertain to, to figure out if he wants to pull up, what he wants to do. He does not look all the time like a dominant player, yet you look at that box score and it's it's incredible. I just thought that third quarter stood out to me. Like He was just a force in that third quarter where he was the one bringing him back and then obviously in the fourth quarter as well. And it just felt like no matter what he did, where he was going, it was just going to be unstoppable. Like He was going to get where he wanted. And uh, Ali, you mentioned the one play where it's – it's a Euro step through PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker goes flying and he's just standing there by the rim and dunks it. Like, what? You know, third and fourth quarter, they were running that 1 4 flat for Giannis at the free throw line. And the reason why you do that for isolation players is because you're so close to the basket. The help defenders can't come because if they come, then that's an easy pass. And that's what was going on. He was basically just dissecting that Rockets defense. They put PJ on him, who was their best defender. Gave up a little bit of leverage, but as soon as that secondary defender came, boom, 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 pass all over the court. And if nobody came, he just backed him down and pulled up inside the paint and knocked down some shots. And he looked every bit of dominant in that third and fourth quarter as I've ever seen him play. The thing that blows me away, I always think, like, watching him tonight, watching him pregame, we talked, Eric, uh, before about this, his work ethic is just off the charts. I mean, his half an hour pregame work at, uh, routine here, he's got sweat dripping off his chin. He's not going through the motions. So you have him as a worker. And that's not just an opening night thing. Like, you asked me, like, is this just him at the start of the season? No, that's him it's literally every game. Yeah, so you have that. Then you have the, the one-of-a-kind physique. The guy really is like a Greek god, no pun intended. The thing that should also, again, scare people is the brain, is the fact that maturity-wise – you know, he's a sucker for, you know, this for, for, you know, carrying his little notebook around and learning. And he's a student of the game. It is the perfect storm of, of a player and that is going to, you know, I, mean, I don't know how many MVPs he's going to win. But, you know, this is the first of many last year. I, I thought going back to that one four set, I thought the most impressive thing was the Bucks still ran it when he had five fouls. With five fouls, they said, you know what? 
I know what could happen. Giannis in an ISO situation could pick up a charge. And they said, all right, we're going to go with that anyways. And there's that pull-up jumper that he has. There's that back down of Tucker that he has where he just takes his time, takes his time, and then finishes with a little jump hook. And it's like when you look back at that Eastern Conference Finals, Again, P.J. Tucker isn't Kawhi Leonard. I'm not trying to say that he is, but that was the problem, that in the half court, he couldn't get to spots where he wanted. He couldn't have that mid-range jumper that he could get off at any point, and those are the steps that you want to see him take. And and again, year after year, he's improved, and as you kind of mentioned, Sam, it seems impossible at this point. You shouldn't be able to win an MVP 27 and 12 and 6 a night and be like, yeah, there's still a ways to go, and it, it, it definitely feels like that. For me, the next step in his development is, you know, the pull-up the pull-up jumper. There was one part in the game where he had Clint on the ISO and he got everyone out the way, and Clint was still – he wasn't stepping up, and he just drained three and just held his held the pose. And I think, man, if if he can get that in his game two, three times a quarter or yeah. even, you know, in a half, it makes him that much more dangerous because now he's really unstoppable. We, know, we all know he's, like I said, a great god, an unmovable force when he's on his day. Which is a lot of days, <laughs> but it's it's scary because like you look at the box. There was one time in the game I was like, "Well, wow, he really has like six points." I look up and he has twenty-two, <laughs> and it's just you see why he won MVP last year just from the strength of dominant performances that are so like it's crazy. And I think that pull-up three is such an important tool, especially for the way he plays. It's because whenever defenses are retreating they're already a step two or two or three inside the three-point line if he can have that confidence to just get in rhythm and step up and knock that down that's going to force him to step up and when that opens up so many more things because the way the bucks play at the perimeter with their passing lanes with the way they do dribble handoffs and everything that just creates so much opportunity for a guy like Giannis to take over as a playmaker just based on make, hitting those one or two shots early on so to that point and then if you guys don't mind i'm gonna check out and actually go write some of this stuff the shooting, so I, Kyle and I, in that conversation we had, and Eric, apologies if you've written some of this because I'm always reading your stuff. I might have missed it. It's all good. Like when Kyle talked to the Bucks about coming to town, he had offered the fact that part of the dialogue, and, and he clarified, he's like, no, this was what I told them. It's not like they brought me on and said, hey, could you help Giannis shoot? But Kyle said, he goes, you know, I actually brought it up when I talked to them. Like I, I'm not trying to say I'm a coach, but I'm pretty good at this shooting thing. And he has been very willing to talk to Giannis about just the art of shooting. And he said, he goes, I got to respect the process in terms of, uh, is it Ben Sullivan, his trainer? Yeah. That he, you know, a lot of times it's Kyle talking to Ben, then Ben talking to Giannis, or maybe Kyle talking directly to Giannis. I mean, Giannis even shouted Kyle out after the game and in terms of, you can tell he respects the hell out of him. And that thought had not crossed my mind that you talk about having a hell of a resource in house as you try to add this one dimension to the guy's game that could take him to the next level. You know, we keep, you know, going back to that word scary. I mean, that's the, the stuff that, that is definitely scary. Bye, Sam. Thanks, boys. Appreciate you. We're down to two podcasts now. <laughs> <laughs> so on that thought, I think one thing that's interesting is just the threat of it. Like, if he makes it twice a game and then all of a sudden he, 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 everyone knows when he's going to shoot a pull-up, he has that little dribble that he likes on his side. All of a sudden he hits that dribble, you take two steps – He's gone. Like that—that's a dunk. If he can turn that into that next step, that next counter move, where it's like, all right, I hit two in the first half. You got to respect it. Then it's a blowback. For, for some for some Rockets fans listening, I think this is along the lines of the evolution Harden made when it comes to his floater. His lob with Clint has been there for five years running, and it's a very powerful play 
for many reasons, as we saw tonight. But when he gets inside the paint, when you look at the way he shoots a floater and when you look at the way he puts up a lob, they're identical motions. It's like a pitcher whenever they're coming out of a fastball and a changeup. It looks the same coming out, uh, and at one certain point, it'll dip down. And I think that's the same thing with Harden. I think that's the same thing with Giannis, like you just talked about, is if he can get defenders to guess, is it going to be this or that, he's going to recognize that because he's a smart player. And as soon as he has them on his heels, he's going to take advantage of that and shoot that jumper or get inside for the dunk. And I think when that happens, oh, man, oh, man. So I want to talk about the close of this game. The Giannis falls out with five minutes left, and the Bucks essentially decide – all right, we're just gonna post up Brooke Lopez. Death by Bigs, and like we don't we don't see that anymore. Like that's not a real thing. I'm curious from your guys' perspective, what do you think of the Rockets' closing lineup? Like, do you think that's what you're gonna see? Uh, how do you kind of see this going? Because obviously tonight it didn't work, but maybe it will in the like as you go forward. I asked Coach uh, D'Antoni this post game. Any thought come in your mind to put Clint back in the game because they were just posting up, you know, of Brooke, and he's like, no. Peter Tucker's our best defender. We trust him down in the post. And, and I think that's very telling because I also asked him in preseason, do you see yourself playing the four guard small lineup like you did last season? He said, yeah. And even in the first game, not even, you know, it was still in the third quarter. They put that four, four guard lineup in. And I think we're going to see a lot of that. And what's different and difficult about that is the rest of the NBA is kind of, you see the themes they are going back towards playing bigger. You have not just a power forward and a center the small power forward era where it was, you know, they shoot the ball, stretch the floor. You have a big power forward and they can shoot and stretch the floor. And then you also, by the way, have a center. And in the case with the Bucks, you have a guy who can post up and also shoot the three. And all they were doing is posting him up. At first it was, you know what? We're going to put Eric Gordon on you and send a double team. And you know what? Get the ball out of your hands and maybe force a turnover. And then Brooks started hitting his shots. And he was just finishing over Eric. And then they came out of an adjustment out of a timeout. And they said, you know what? We're not doing that. We're going to put PJ on you. No switching. So then whenever he went back to the, the, the left block, PJ was following him. But then Brooks still got to his spots. And I think this was a fantastic job by Brooke. Well, I, at one point, it was 11 points he scored in the fourth quarter. Uh, I don't know what he ended up with. Was it still 11 points? But, I mean, goodness, like, they they made adjustments. It's not like the Rockets did not make adjustments. They stopped switching. And they still didn't uh, weren't able to stop Brooke. Let's close this thing out. What do you think, game one for you guys, just looking at, I mean, there was so, to me, from the outside, I was like, I just want to see the Rockets play, man. Like, I want to see what this looks like, because this this could be really fun with those two dudes. In my mind, it was just like, I just want to see them play. What are your thoughts after game one of that experience? I think kind of the same lines of what Coach D'Antoni said. You look at silver linings, you know, coming into the game, everybody was obviously trying to see how is Russ going to look in this system. You know, preseason means nothing really. Talk is cheap, but how's it going to look on the, on the floor? And I think the fans were getting into it. We saw, you know, just glimpses of what he can be. A sheer terror in the open court where he's grabbing the rebound over two bucks, running on the length of the court and just kicking out for threes. Like, he's never had that luxury before. And um, the other thing is that just the Rockets' depth, how is it going to go over the season? We saw there's no Gerald Green, you know, there's no Nene, but we saw Tyson Chandler look like he was 27. Yeah. We saw Ben McLemore, you know, do McLemore things. You know, I just think today, you know, they lost the game, but there are some positives to take away because, like you said, you can't win them all. You can win 81, though. <laughs> you can't win them all. And I guess from my perspective, looking at this Bucks team, I just kept thinking to myself, Looks like the same team as last year. 
And, and again, there the first half offense was totally disjointed. They didn't really seem to have any idea what they were doing on either end. The defense was sloppy as well. And you get to the third quarter, Brooke Lopez still isn't scoring. Chris Middleton's still missing all of his shots. And it's just like, well, I don't know if they're going to win this one. Maybe it's just not in the cards tonight. Giannis takes over, gets them back in the game. Giannis falls out, and then Chris Middleton hits two big threes. Brooke Lopez comes in, hits a three. And all of a sudden, you're just looking at all of those dudes closing games. And all I could think of was like, this was January and February of last year. Like, the Bucks would just kind of be around the game. And then in the third or fourth quarter, I was like, all right, we got this. And throughout the preseason, we talked about continuity and, you know, how much does it matter? And I think it's a thing around the league that can get overrated at times. When your team is really good and they have continuity, that matters. Like, that really matters. And honestly, to me, that was kind of the difference in the game tonight was that the Bucks knew how they were going to close stuff together and the Rockets are still trying to figure that out. And it didn't look terribly disjointed or terrible for the Rockets but I think just that little bit that that's your six point difference is the Bucks knew who they are what they want to be and the Rockets are still trying to figure that out not that they won't be terrifying down the stretch but tonight they're still trying to figure that out and I think to that point of their closing you know stretch a lot of times their their small ball look will beat a lot of teams and it'll help them close gaps and get back in the game but a lot of teams don't have Brooke Lopez, who's <laughs> yeah. a freaking massive dude. And if he's out, if he's out there looking like Dirk, you know, on post fadeaways and stuff, you kind of have no chance <laughs> with that. It's a wrap. If it's the ta- if the tallest player on the court is six six against the Brooke Lopez on form, I mean, what can you do? Yeah, no, it's a it's a wrap. All right, uh, I think that's me. You guys got anything else? You good? Uh, no, just subscribe to the Athletic. Uh, watch out for ecosystem and Rocket Film Room with Ali. Man, we we got all the plugs in that. All the plugs. Hit, hit the tampering pod. <laughs> hit the tampering I, pod. I mean, Amic is here. Yeah, we also had Joe Varden here. Well, like, make sure to follow us on uh, on Twitter because we're about to showcase. Or you'll see it whenever you uh, listen to the pod. But we're gonna post uh, Kelly's outfit from tonight. He took a stroll down the Rockets red carpet, which, by the way, they do have an actual red carpet as an actual DJ. It's lit up and everything. So check that out. You'll see Kelly's nice outfit. It is so beyond ridiculous that that exists. <laughs> and it just p- points to the differences between Giannis as a superstar <laughs> and what's going on here in Houston with Harden and Westbrook. Because Giannis would be walking that red carpet in a tech fleece every single day. Like, I mean, the, it'd be a different color tech fleece and a custom tech fleece, but it would still be tech a <laughs> <laughs> He is definitely fashionable. Giannis is a very fashionable man. I mean, he's Nigerian. The NBA so. better watch it all so what do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's Kelly Eco. Ali, I'm not going to try. Bajani? Yeah, you got it right. All right, Ali Bajani. That was Sam Amick. We had everyone. Whatever. It's all a mess, but that's okay. Thanks for sticking around. Make sure you subscribe. These are Friday podcasts, so that means if you're listening to it, you're already subscribed. So go tell some friends to subscribe as well and get these podcasts all the time. That's a wrap from the Toyota Center.